whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Well, good morning, everyone. Do keep uh, John 21 open in front of you. Uh, eating is an essential part of life, isn't it? Uh, put up your hand if you didn't eat anything yesterday. I see no hands. Uh, eating is an essential and, frankly, I'd have to say, a very enjoyable part of life. Uh, we need to eat to survive, but, of course, we do it not just occasionally, we do it regularly. And, in fact, when we do, we eat to enjoy the flavours and textures of our food and that satisfying feeling of being full. Uh, and, actually, as I look back over the last few weeks and the hazelnut chocolate wrappers... I can confidently say I've been practising what I preach. It's in that light that we recognise Jesus too spoke a lot about eating. In fact, many of the episodes we hear from him in John and the other Gospels, they have something to do with meals and eating. Uh, but Jesus takes it a step further beyond just the regularity to the necessity of eating too. And so you might remember here in John's Gospel of one particular episode after the feeding miracle when he fed 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, after feeding them with bread and fish and satisfying their hunger till the next meal, he promised to feed them something even greater. And we read these words in John 6 verse 35, I am the bread of life. Jesus declared, whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. If we need to eat to live, then fish and bread will satisfy us until the next meal. But Jesus is able to satisfy us for the rest of our lives. And so, chapter 21 of John, the last chapter of John, after the great climax of Jesus rising from the dead, picks up on that. And it's a chapter about eating and feeding. Because now that he's risen, what's important? Uh, how are people going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing have life in his name? And the answer to that is this chapter, a chapter that starts out with Jesus shouting breakfast, but this breakfast is a springboard for how he feeds us now, you and me today, and for all eternity. This chapter divides into two halves. The first half is a sign, uh, uh, Jesus' last sign, in fact, of a book full of signs. It's a sign that he provides. Now, it's all pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? A bunch of the disciples are back home in uh, their home neck of the woods by the Sea of Galilee. They go fishing. I figure they go fishing because they like to eat and fish are what Galilee has in spades. Uh, and many of them were fishermen. Uh, but they don't catch anything until the man standing on the shore, they haven't recognised him yet, he tells them to throw their nets on the right side of the boat. When they do, they get a huge haul. 
Uh, It's a miraculous catch. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he goes, wait a minute, uh, puts two and two together and realises this is classic Jesus. Uh, Why do I say classic Jesus? Well, isn't he providing when they had nothing? Like when they ran out of wine in chapter 2. Like when they had nothing to eat in chapter 6. In so many ways, John seems to be wrapped up at the end of chapter 20. Uh, In fact, it's been suggested that this chapter could have been added to it later on. Uh, But maybe we should think of it more like, you know, those movies like the Marvel movies and others like it where after the great resolution and the credits roll, there's another clip at the end about what's coming next. Is that what's happening here in John 21? There is certainly a reason for it being here, not just a third appearance of the risen Jesus to his disciples, though that'd be enough but to draw together some of the threads that appeared earlier in John, threads that help us to see all the more clearly what happens next. And as Jesus dishes up brekkie to his disciples, as he feeds his disciples, I can't help but think back to everything Jesus told them he would ask of them in John 14 to 16. And how he told them that as he was at the one time asking them, he was also going to provide for them as well. To be his witnesses, to be his spokesmen, to be his messengers when he had returned to his father. And as he said he would provide what was essential for them then, he's providing something as simple as a miraculous breakfast now. Now it's with that playing out, you know, as their stomachs are full, that Jesus commissions his disciples to get on with his work. Where when he does this, What's happening is Jesus is providing his disciples to feed his sheep. But before we get to that, let me ask you, have you ever found yourself in the terrible position of having let someone down? Uh, You might have over-promised in some way and under-delivered. It's a terrible experience. Uh, It's embarrassing and humiliating. Now, as you reflect on your own feelings, if indeed you've been in that situation, imagine how Simon Peter felt face to face with Jesus again. Do you remember what he promised Jesus in John 13? He said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And here he is, on the other side of the cross, face to face with the one he promised to die for, who instead died for him. Not just once, Jesus asks him the question, but three times along the same lines as the three times that Peter had disowned Jesus. Imagine Peter's shame. Imagine his guilt. But in what Jesus does next, 
following the same pattern of three, he shows his forgiveness of Peter and replaces his guilt with a mission. It's the same thing again of Jesus providing when we have nothing. Let's hear what he asks in verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Simon, back in chapter 13, had wanted to show Jesus his love by standing in his place by taking the bullet for Jesus, but hadn't. In fact, he couldn't. And Jesus had never expected him to. No one could follow Jesus to that cross literally. Neither Simon, nor me, nor you. But after that sacrifice, he calls each one of us. Our lives are not our own, but given to follow him. And Simon, Peter and the disciples, for their part, were entrusted to the eyewitnesses, to be eyewitnesses, I should say, to all, uh, to all that Jesus said and did, and to proclaim him as the Messiah, the Son of God. And now, as we hear their words hear Jesus' words spoken through them, he's feeding us. Of course, it's not the same as eating brekkie on the seashore, but it's just as necessary and even more important. Peter, for his part, Jesus tells him in verse 18 to 19, he will die for the cause. That is what it will mean for him to follow Jesus. John, who wrote this down in the verses that follow those where Jesus speaks to Peter, he was required to go on living for the cause. That's what it will mean for him to follow Jesus. And you and I, we're called today and each day as we've read John to follow Jesus as well to believe the powerful and life-changing words of Jesus and to obey them. There are lots of word pictures in John and no less here. When Jesus gives Peter his marching orders, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. He's got his own little menagerie going on over here. Uh, do you remember what Jesus called himself in John 10? the good shepherd. The shepherd who cares for his sheep, who knows and loves us, who lays down his life for us. And Simon Peter and the other disciples, they are a gift from the good shepherd. 
pointing us to Jesus, reporting the truth about Jesus, verse 24, feeding us, taking care of us, as it were, by the trustworthy word of God, like we have here in John. And our response, the right response, is trust and obedience in that same word from God. This is why we take the Bible so seriously. Uh, It is God's word. And when we hear God's word, it meets us, it meets our greatest need, our need for life, for eternal life with God and the forgiveness that brings life. So let me encourage you to allow God's word to give you life. Listen to it, read it, remember it, sing it, how good is that? Speak it. You know, I'm so encouraged uh, through the conversations that we have uh, when I hear how you've responded to God's word, uh, being challenged by God's word, uh, even been humbled humbled yourself before God's word and allowed him to transform your life. And when I'm, when I'm allowing myself to be fed by God's word and being shaped by God's word, what is my greatest frustration in life? It's when I see people placing themselves at a distance from God's word, removing themselves from hearing it, or hearing it and denying its power, making excuses for how their circumstances, for how it doesn't apply to their situation. Now, as a church, we recognise we can be incredibly helpful in many ways, and one of them, one of the ways in which we aim to be helpful is by encouraging each other to feed on God's word. And so you can go to the resources section of our website. You know, if you go to our, this is the home page, and you can see there the discipleship resources uh, icon. If you click on that, you can go through to the next page, and there's a range of resources. But I'm drawing particular attention today to the personal Bible reading one. And if you're not into the internet, we even have paper copies that you can ask Judy for at the office. I know it's quite revolutionary, isn't it? And if you're in one of our growth groups, uh, we put together these booklets. I'll just walk over here and get it because I forgot to bring it up. We put together these booklets, not just for you to use as a group, but to model through what we do in our groups how to feed on God's word for yourself at any time. Uh, Praying for God to give us understanding, reading the passage and asking questions, what is God saying and why is God saying this? Praying in response and taking action in response. And so you can establish a pattern. I'm using a Bible reading plan from uh, the Version Bible app, but if you prefer, you can do what I'm doing effectively without using an app with a couple of pieces of paper called bookmarks that you stick in your Bible. Uh, put a bookmark where you're up to in the Old Testament. 
Uh, put a bookmark where you're up to in the New Testament and put a bookmark in the Psalms. And each day, most days, read a chapter of one or of the other or of all and follow that pattern, that pattern that we've been modelling in our growth groups as you read and feed on God's word. Remember, Jesus feeds us by his word. Uh, He's laid an incredible, a sumptuous banquet before us. So we know how to live, so we know, so we may have life, and above all, so we may know him. Imagine the offence that we would cause God or worse still, the unthinkableness that we might starve to death for want of eating as much as we need. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is the great giver, giving of himself, giving his life, giving what we need so we may have life. We pray, Heavenly Father, we want to feed on Jesus' life-giving word, handed down, entrusted to the disciples, recorded for us in our Bibles, uh, transforming in our lives as we hear it and are nourished by it. Feed us, we pray, that we may grow more like Jesus in thankfulness for Jesus and for the sake of your glory. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.